This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Tonight we're going to look at Athens and then visit a place that you probably have not even heard of. has no biblical significance, really. We're going to look at uh, some, not a monastery, but monasteries. And, uh, and then next week, uh, we're going to finish uh, visiting Thessalonica and Berea. And that, that's going to be fun. Those are two cities I've not been to. So I am, I'm excited about, about going and, and visiting there. So tonight let's talk about Athens. Uh, here's where it's located. I talked about Thessaloniki. We're going to have a chance to visit there. <clears throat> but we've already been to Ephesus, right? We've been to Corinth. Right here is Athens. You'll notice that the dot is inland. It's five miles inland. It's not a port like Ephesus was or Corinth still is. Uh, there uh, was a. There were two walls, and we're going to look at that tonight. That actually led down to the port. But these were fortified walls that armies guarded so that they could bring ships up to the coast and then uh, get goods and, and, and people back and forth uh, to Athens. An interesting and very important place, though, for a number of reasons. As far as location, also known as the city of Minerva, named after uh, one of the gods that we're going to consider, one of their idols we'll consider tonight. Athens was the chief city of Attica in Greece, situated on the Saronic Gulf, 46 miles east of Corinth. So if you want to look back at your map, kind of get your bearings, about five miles from the coast. The city was on a plain extending to the sea on the southwest. Now here's what's important. There, where it had three ports, ships would come in there. But the passage... Uh, to the city was defended by two long and broad walls, 250 uh, feet apart. So they defended those walls, but that was the gate, this long gateway, the, the uh, passageway that led up to the city uh, of Athens. The Athenians did have a mighty navy, um, and you can go back and read some of the greatest naval battles in antiquity took place right around these cities, and especially out in the Aegean near Athens. Historical significance. It's one of the world's oldest cities with its recorded history spanning 3,400 years. We as Americans, we, oh, we're 200 plus. Yeah, that's nothing. Compared to these, compared to Rome, compared to Athens, 3,400 years, and its earliest human presence beginning somewhere between the 11th and 7th centuries BC. It's widely uh, referred to as the cradle of Western civilization and the birthplace of democracy. 
This beautiful city was also celebrated for its military talents, learning, eloquence, and the politeness of its inhabitants. I just want to stop at that period for a minute. There were many cities that Paul went into, and by the time his ministry was done there, he was uh, stoned, he was, had been in prison, uh, there were threats, and they had to help him escape at night. Not Athens. What happened in Athens? They think him and the person with him were gods also? That was not that was not Athens. That was a different place. That was a different place. You'll remember that the scholars in the city took him up on a rock, and we're gonna look at that rock. We call it Mars Hill. Uh, we we want to hear this fella. What's he got to say? Okay. And they debated with him, and, and some laughed, some, you know, when he talked about the resurrection, well, some shook their heads and said, okay, we're <laughs> done here. Uh, but so we're going to see later on, some believed, but it was a welcoming place. That's what Athens was known for. In fact, before he gets on Mars Hill, he's been to the Agora, he's been to their shopping district where he's... He's talked to people, he's been to the synagogue in town, and it just the talk just continues to build. Uh, people, people want to hear what he has to say. It was a friendly place. That's what Athens was known for. Now, I found this picture, and I wanted to show it to you for a couple of reasons. Notice people are standing around. Someone's giving a speech, probably a politician or a, a well-known soldier, okay? Everybody's listening and, and so on. Why I also show you this picture is in the background, the artist has gotten right the most significant structure in Athens. And that was the Acropolis up on the hill and the main entry palace uh, temple where you had to go through there to get up to the main temple. It's beautiful, but the artist also got it right. That was the protected area of the city. Uh, by the end of tonight, Lord willing, you're going to see not only models, but you're going to see actual pictures. And folks, look at the steps over here. If you're on this trip with us, you're going to walk right up those steps, right through that building, and you'll end up up there. How many are there? The steps? That's a Closely guarded secret. We can handle it. You can. And we take our time. Yeah. Right. We do. <laughs> All right. All right. It's not as intimidating as it may look. And we'll throw you a rope. Well, I did time in here. I don't know if do that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, but that's, that's what it, the city was known for. Uh, cradle of, of Western civilization, uh, many of the ideas for democracy came out of Athens. The scholars, the poets, uh, and, and so on. All right, let's go on. Its schools of philosophy were the most illustrious in the world. Its painters, sculptors, and architects have never been surpassed. Let's talk about its history. The early history of Athens reveals the use of elections, term limits, 
a good thing. Yep. And the use of a constitution. Where did we get those ideas? It wasn't Ben Franklin. In 490 BC, the Athenians defeated the Persians at Marathon, and again in 480 at Salamis. In 476, uh, Aristides organized the Great Athenian Confederacy. Warfare continued to weaken Athens until it came under the control of Alexander the Great, 336. After the Romans conquered Greece, and by the way, if you look back at your map, we talked about how a lot of these cities that we're going to visit, when the Romans came into power, they smiled and said, come on in. We're, we don't, we're just, let's, you know, we believe many of the same gods. Um, you know, we're tired of warfare. Come on in. And the Romans then would honor them by giving them special privileges as cities and city-states. And we've, we've mentioned it multiple times. Uh, the same thing happened in Athens. In fact, Athens was placed under the supervision of the governor of Macedonia, but was granted local independence and recognition of her great history. Even the Romans recognized that place is significant. Its influence on history and time, significant. And so uh, they granted them a special privilege as well. Now what about temples and idols? All of these cities, were, were they, they were noted for certain gods. Have you noticed that as we've moved through here? Athens was no different. Several rocky hills rose on the plain where Athens is located. The largest hill was the citadel, or the Acropolis. Around this, the city was built. The summit of the hill was nearly uh, level, about 800 feet long, 400 feet wide. When we get up there, you're going you're gonna to marvel. It's like somebody took uh, excavating equipment and just leveled it off, but it was natural. That's why it was such a great place uh, to build these structures. Nearly level, very big. The only way to the Acropolis, though, was through the Propylia, a magnificent gateway on the western side adorned with two temples decorated with the finest pieces of sculpture and painting. There are other civilizations where, and especially when you think about Palestine, you see the gods of the Canaanites. Okay, they're crude. They're, you know. But when you get to these parts, and especially Athens, they can take a stone, and when they're done chiseling, it looks just like a man or a woman. Features and everything. Remarkable. They're painting does the same thing. And then they've got this architecture with these columns uh, holding up massive structures. Uh, these, these were marvelous places to visit. And here we are, 2022, and we're going to go back, and a lot of this stuff is still standing. How does that even happen? You know, I'm quite sure in 50 years, 
who knows if the Asher house will still be there, you know, depending on who's taking care of it or tried. Not here. And these Roman roads, they're still there. The aqueducts, they're still there. I mean, they knew how to construct. But Athens is amazing uh, for this. So temples and idols on the mount of the hill or the summit of the hill were the temples of the guardian divinities of Athens. To the left was the temple of Palasathene or Minerva, regarded as the protectus of the city, female goddess. Under the same roof was the temple of Neptune. Anybody here in Hampton Roads heard about Neptune? Okay, all right. Same God. Same God. A 70-foot bronze statue of Minerva stood nearby, and on the right arose the Parthenon, the Parthenon, I'm sorry, the glory of Athens, the large, the noblest triumph of Grecian architecture. So here in the picture, these are the stairs leading up to that main entrance to the Acropolis. And on each side, you had temples. You had these structures uh, built on the stone. Uh, and you can't see it so much here, but I think when we even get there, there still will be scaffolding. They are rebuilding this, which is, which is pretty amazing. I want to take some time, though, uh, with this next picture. Uh, you can see it better on the screen than uh, that little picture I've given you in your notes. But here's a model, once again. The two sides of the temple, the entryway going up in. Remember that massive statue we talked about to Neptune? Again, not the greatest picture. Right there. All right. Notice how big and flat that whole area is. Other temples, beautiful area, thousands of people could go up there. We're going to get to see this model when we're there. It just, it, it helps you kind of put into perspective uh, that, that area. Uh, when we're in Athens at night, whether we're at our hotel or in a shopping area, whatever, at night they light up the Acropolis. It's gorgeous, and it's just beautiful. You can see it from anywhere in the city. So look at this, and then look at this is the way it looks today. Can you see? It was still standing, of course. They continue to work on it. But the steps leading up to it, look at the structure and look at the people. Gives you an idea how massive the, this construction was. What's the biggest building in the back? Is that the Parthenon? Just the Acropolis. That's the Acropolis. That's the Acropolis. That's the Acropolis. Okay. Other, other temples, this was the main structure that was the gate in. Now keep in mind, we want our gods to protect us, but we build all this here. These are massive walls, so if an enemy came into Athens, yeah, this is our temple district, but that's also where we go to, to survive. Okay. Is 
that Minerva down there on the left? This is Minerva. <coughs> that's Neptune. Okay. If you want to see a better Neptune, go to Virginia Beach Water. Right? Yeah, there's, yeah, there's a big one of him out there. Okay. Not as, not nearly as old as this guy, but uh, any questions then? So there's the again the Athenian Acropolis. Yes. Everything had to be brought in, you know, in terms of food, consumables. Is that how I... If it's mostly temples, like all the, the market and everything, the harbor is all down, the ports were down, and everything had to be brought up, carted up probably. Carted up. And typically, these places, you see temples and so on, but um, the leaders of these cities also had stores food and, and so on. If they were in a time of peace, not so important. When the Romans rule everything and have at this point for 150 years, well, we're not so concerned that we need to have stores up in the uh, Acropolis because, you know, Rome controls all this. And, and there's no known enemy even out there. If, if they're out there, they're so far away that we, we won't have to worry about them in our lifetime. Uh, but back during the Greek Wars, these all these places were being built up, and they had to be fortresses because the city-states were fighting against each other. And before Greece was even established, you had the Persians who were trying to take these areas. Uh, Philip of Macedon, and and um, you know, and then going going back even earlier. So these, these were fortified places by, by later Greek times and then the Roman times. These are just massive, beautiful cities that they could just keep building because there weren't any threats to them. These guys were good with hammer and chisels. They, they knew their stuff. They knew their stuff. Now, all through this region and even down into Palestine, one of, one of the ways that they were also able to do this is... Um, and archaeologists note this, a lot of these hills were made out of uh, seismology and limestone where you could take a chisel and hammer and you could form things too, uh, even today. But it, was, it lasted a long time, was very durable, and that's how they could do a lot of this, this carving. It must have took a lifetime, several lifetimes to build that. Oh, yeah. Now, also keep in mind, though, that slavery was what everybody did. And so if you conquer a people, you, you can get a lot done on that hill if you've got several thousand slaves up there working for you. Do you know if the pillars on that big building were one solid piece, or were they several pieces They were up? usually several pieces. Okay. Yeah. Still, you'd have to have a crazy... Several pieces, plastered... <laughs> I can say that with certainty because in places when you go up to Masada, when we were up at Masada, those pillars were all hauled up that that mountain in pieces and then the city reconstructed up there. In fact, there are Roman numerals on those pieces where 
they put it together down below and then marked everything like a big oh, puzzle and then hauled it up and put it back together. Mm -hmm. well, what, what amazed me about what he's talking about, each piece yeah. is, is impossible to get up that hill. And I know they did it, but, <laughs> but I'm thinking each piece, I don't see any got one up there. Yeah, it's, it, hmm. yeah we, when you see this, we think, you know, we are so smart. Look what we've come up with. Yeah, and in five years, I'm going to be throwing this in the garbage probably because it's For not, free. you know. <laughs> yeah. But thousands of years later, and it's still in that kind of shape. And that's after war. And, you know, remember, all of this area at one point was overrun. Um, most of Greece because of the Turks. And just like... Islam today, they want to erase the history of the infidels. Yep. That's why even in places like uh, Mosul and Iraq, and you know, they were going into historic places that have been there for millennia and millennia, and they're tearing it down because they want to, you know, and archaeologists are crying and pulling their hair out. What do you do? That's because all the history disproves them. Right. So let's talk about Paul's ministry. This is what we're there to see. Go to Acts chapter 17. And it's fun just to read through the book of Acts because they're ministering in these cities. We've already looked at some of these texts and Paul's got a team up here and then he, he tells them to come back to him over here and, and the, you know, they're... And he really is the point man. He's the one ending up in these cities, and then the team joins him, and and uh, it's just really exciting to read the book of Acts. But it's even more exciting than to look at these pictures and say, especially, I oh, I've been there. I've been in Corinth. I've, I, you know, what I stood in that amphitheater in Ephesus. Wow, I was there. Okay. So when Paul arrives, let's go to verse 16. <clears throat> now while Paul waited for them at Athens, who's them, that's his team. He's got team members working around these other cities. His spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to what? Idolatry. It sobers me to read this because in the other cities that we've looked at, Pergamos and you know where Satan's seat is, those places were, you know, it's just like, ah, oh, the idolatry. Paul was in a lot of those places, but this city moved in because of the idolatry. What's that tell you? It's really bad. Okay. Now, we know from the background of this text, it's so bad that just so they didn't miss a God, they had a, a Idol to the unknown God. Paul's walking around going, what in the world? I mean, just. Verse 17. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Now, verse 17, that word daily, he does this day after day after day and there's no hostility. So again, go back to what we said earlier about the fact this is a friendly city. 
and he's all over the place. He's in the market, okay? Uh, he's in the synagogue. We're going to, by the way, show you that synagogue in a moment. And so follow it. He immediately began witnessing, reasoning is the word there in verse 17, with the Jews in the synagogue and with the Greeks at the market. Now that word a market in the Greek language is agora. Okay? That's the Greek word, our English word market. What is he talking to them about? Verse 18, then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics, these are the philosophers of the day, encountered him. Some said, what will this babbler say? Other, some, he see, seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods. This is new. I wonder what gods, plural, he's serving. Devoted to. Because he preached unto them Jesus. Hadn't heard that name before. And the resurrection. Wow. So he engaged the best minds in Athens about the truth and was brought unto the Areopagus, the Athenian high council, which conducted business and heard legal matters on this place called Mars Hill. Now here's, here's what you need to know from this text. Well, let's look at it. Verse 19, And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus. Question. Is that a place or is that a ruling body? Looks like a ruling body. The answer is actually both. Hmm. Okay, we would say Capitol Hill where the Congress meets. Somebody could just say, well, that's the Congress. They, they used them interchangeably as the same place. They brought them under this group of leaders. In Israel, it would be the Sanhedrin. Here, it's the Areopagus. All right, these, these are the city fathers. These are the brains. Okay. May we know, may look at, may we know uh, what this new doctrine whereof he speaketh is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears, we would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were uh, there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. What new ideas? What strange ideas? People traveling through. What were they seeking? Ultimate knowledge. Okay? Let me just pause for a moment also, because when Paul is going to begin to speak to them, He's going to quote one of their poets, uh, one of their philosophers. And here in Acts 17, he's going to do it here, but he's also going to do it, and I'm trying to remember, I think it's the letter to the Galatians. He's going to quote another one of their, uh, their uh, philosophers. We're going to see that in a minute, but I just, I'm, I'll mention it here. 
Paul didn't just know theology. Paul was a scholar. And you need to challenge your young people, and we even as God's people need to be well read. It's important to know your Bible, especially. Don't I'm not diminishing that. But when you interact with people and you begin to discuss things, you need to know what they know. I'm not saying be smarter than they are when it comes to sin. But, but you, you need to know history. It's okay to know philosophy. And what Paul ends up doing is he's debating these are the brightest minds in the Greek culture. And as he's debating with them and he's quoting their philosophers, they're all going, who is this guy? They're paying attention. Thank you, David. They're paying attention. Where'd this guy come from? Okay. He demanded, I should say he commanded their attention. Now we're going we're gonna to see that uh, even as, as we continue here. Uh, so, as we go on, verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill. Now that is the actual location where, again, the Areopagus met. And said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. It should be fun one of these days and some archaeologists find an altar over there and in Greek it has on the side of it to the unknown God. Whom thereof ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Do you see how masterful this is? God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is God of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Okay. You can almost look into the mind of these Greeks saying, well, that's Zeus. No, 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 no. He's way above Zeus. And it's made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Now watch this as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. And at this point, I have to believe, it's dead silent. Mars Hill, it's silent. Okay. He's quoting our poets. He's saying that what they said was true. Some of that. Okay. This unknown God, he's telling us about our unknown God. That he is in fact God. The God. All right, so I'm going to pause there for a moment. So they conducted business and, and heard legal matters on Mars Hill, verses 19, 22. As Paul preached, we could go all the way through verse 31, God was on trial in Athens. 
Paul put him out there. Was Paul concerned? No. He's God. He can stand on his own. These folks just need to know about God. And so as he goes on, he says to them, verse 27, that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from any one of us. Verse 29, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold, silver, or stone, graven by art and man's device. What did he just do? He defined Athens. You know, I look at these buildings and it's just stone, but imagine it all glazed with gold and silver and paint and gods. Okay? Verse 29, Paul just takes a swipe at it all. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. By the way, who is that man? It's Jesus. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Now, up to this point, they're all listening. They're all ears. Raised him from the what? And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, we will hear thee again out of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. I'm so glad that Luke doesn't stop with verse 33. What happened? Oh, albeit certain clave unto him certain men, and believed, among the which was Diocius, the Apagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. And I go back again to the fact that this is where, these were the town fathers, the somebodies in the city, this is where they gathered. So when those two come to Christ, it tells you these are devout but well-known people. And they're saved. The start of the church in Athens. Okay. So what was the result? God is on trial, resulting in contention. It didn't get physical. These are friendly people. They just wagged their heads and said, this guy's crazy. Left the hill. Others claved to Paul. They stayed. They, uh, they got saved. And so let's take a look now at a different model. In the background, you can see that temple structure. In fact, you can see here's the gateway in. There's the Acropolis. But this is, an art, based on archaeology, an artist's rendition of what the city looked like. Here's what I, the reason I put this here. Here's what I want you to see. Here's the Agora. Here's the shopping area. We're going to be able to walk in there. Okay. Right here, the remains of the synagogue. So as you're reading Acts 17, and you're, you, you see models like this, okay, so Paul is milling around here. He's talking to people. He's being a witness. He's been in the synagogue. He's been in the Agora. All right, and and at this point, they 
he's got such a crowd, they, they want to talk more about this, so they're going to take him out to the city fathers, and right over here is Marcel. Here's a better picture. Mars Hill, and so when he says God's not made with hands, gold, silver, he is standing in the shadow of what? As he's preaching, he can go, right there! <laughs> that ain't it! Let me tell you about, and, and again, as, as he's milling out here in, in the city, this is where he sees the, the altar that, to the unknown God and so on. But this is where he preaches from. This is where they gather. Okay? So let me share a story with you. Got time for a story. Last time we were there, we had a female guide, born-again Christian. She loved the Lord. She's Greek. And so she gets us up, and it was just fun to listen to her because she's talking about the book of Acts and she's sharing these details with us because she knows the unknown God, right? And she gets up here and she says, okay, pastor, uh, go ahead and share what you have. So I turn to Acts 17 and I start reading this text. And I'm expanding, expounding the text. Okay? And as I'm preaching... People start gathering on the Mars Hill. Amen. They thought you were the guy. I looked like Paul. But not only. So she, she said, no, she, you could tell she was the guy. But I'm standing there with an open Bible and I'm preaching and people are gathering. And so I gave the gospel. And as I'm giving the gospel, some people are kind of looking at each other and and they're walking away. And I think in the back of my mind, this is exactly what Paul experienced right here. And we get done, and a man walks up to me, and he goes, he looked Greek. But I found out later he was from San Diego or something. <laughs> <laughs> Visiting family. He goes, who are you guys? And I said, well, we're with Pilgrim Tours, and this is our uh, these are fellow believers from our church. He said, how can I get into your tour? <laughs> I said, I don't know. Talk to her. I don't know. How to use her. Here's why, and I felt so bad for it. The gist of it was, the tour they were with, they weren't sharing any of this. They just didn't know. It was, it was a religious tour, and somebody was probably reading off of the script. They didn't know the Lord... So this, this didn't mean a whole lot. And, and he's, he's listening. He's like, man, how can I get into your tour? But then he said this. He said, I'm a believer. But I've got a brother-in-law in Athens who is not. Can you talk to him? I said, really? Where are you staying? He was staying in the same hotel that we were staying in Athens. Nice hotel, by the way. They're all nice hotels, by the way. And so I said, well, let's meet in the lobby. And so that night, in Athens, sitting in, on couches around, there's this guy, there is his unsaved brother-in-law who spoke English too, 
were sitting there drinking Coca-Cola and eating pistachios, and I'm sharing the gospel with this guy. And essentially, after sharing the gospel with him, the gist of what he said was, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. <laughs> and that's how our night ended. But you can, you can imagine, I was so fired up. I got to preach on Mars Hill. I got to witness to a guy in Athens who is searching. He didn't come to Christ. But, um, but the seeds are planted. And this many thousand years later, I get to do the same thing Paul was doing right now. You might get to do it again. <laughs> and to celebrate, we went out and got Turkish delights. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just remind me, when we went to Israel, when you're doing something in the Jordan River, other people are like, right. kind of like slowly right. coming into our group and listening to right. Great opportunity to witness. Unlike Israel, where you have to be guarded of who you're talking, who you're witnessing to, not Greece or Turkey. You can just talk to people. So it's... it's Was this lot. four years ago when you went? I know you went somewhere. No, no, because this is... We've been, we've been in Virginia 10... And it was two years before we left Pennsylvania. Where did, where did you go right after 2018 when Joe passed? Israel. That was Israel. That's when he went Yeah, that was, we were in Israel. All right. So does that put things in perspective for you? All right. We've got five minutes. Let's talk. What is the Meteora Monasteries? Now, this is just going to be fun tourism. Okay, so this won't, this won't take us long. The word meteora literally means hovering in the air like a meteor, rising high above the Thessalian plain. So we're up by Thessalonica. The sandstone formations on which the monasteries were built average 1,000 to 1,800 feet. Now, everybody relax. You don't have to walk steps to get up there. Okay. So you got to climb up the side right I think they drop you off by helicopter. No, I don't know. I don't know. Well, like I said, I've never been here, uh, but it's too, it's too high for you to walk up. That's the point. Remember, when we were in Masada, that was 1,900 feet off the off the floor, and we didn't have to walk up there either, right? Okay. So I'm sure there's a tram or something that gets you there. The area, Meteora, was originally settled by monks in the 11th century who lived in caves within the rocks. At times, or as times became unsure during the age of Turkish occupation and lawlessness. It was, a, it was really bad. Monks climbed higher up in the rocks until they were living in the inaccessible peaks where they were able to build by bringing material and people up with ladders and baskets. Now, as I studied this, they say that some of those baskets they use are still up there. You're going to be able to see them. And again, you're going to marvel like we did at Masada. They built all this by putting building material in baskets. That's okay. Um, I don't know, Elva. Maybe that's how they're going to get us up there. I think it's a rope on a wind. It's a rope on a wind, yeah. yeah. Okay, parasail or something. All right. 
24 monasteries exist and are owned by the Greek, Greek Orthodox Church. All right, so this, this just gives you an idea how beautiful. That's a lot of baskets of materials. So there's, there's yeah, <laughs> and then on these, on these peaks, in fact, you can get online and look at this. There, there are movies probably that you heard of uh, that they filmed up in these parts up in these monasteries. That's amazing. But isn't that amazing? Where, where you know, look, look at those. And we're going to be able to go up and, and go through. There's one. This there. one looks like a This one over here's got a bridge across that canyon going into the main structure. See it? I yeah. bet you that's a. So bring your <laughs> bring your camera. I hear the vistas are amazing. All right. Yeah. That little bridge. You see the little. You see the peak going up, up, going up there. The one right here, yeah, on the left, it's like a mountain. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, it does. So what made this famous is there were monks, Christian monks. Who this is where they were hiding and for, or you know praying and so, and and then as the Turks occupied these areas, uh, the Ottoman Empire, that history, um, they just worked their way up into the tops of these and built, and uh, nobody could get to them. Now, I don't know what they did for food and water. We'll learn that when we get there. But... All right. Any questions? How many baskets did it take? How many baskets? <laughs> a lot. A lot. And a little bit of rope. Alright. So we're gonna we're gonna close and I'm gonna ask those who are traveling with us stay behind. I uh, wanna share a few things with you and then we'll let you be dismissed. Alright? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of the gospel. Uh, that it still is penetrating hearts today. And Lord, would you use us even as we're over there to be a witness, bring souls to Christ. And uh, God, teach us from your word. Thank you for the good time we've had together tonight. Again, thank you for modern technology. Thank you for modern travel. Uh, and Lord, we look forward to, uh, Lord willing, being able to visit these places. Help us as we prepare and Lord, help us to be a witness here uh, to our neighbors. The gospel is not limited. Uh, use us to be a testimony and a witness for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.